Hi, my name is Bethany Tolley, and this is my blog, The Doctrine Lady Blog. If you would like to read the text for any of my podcasts, please visit my website, thedoctrinelady.blog. And now for today's podcast. Perfectionism versus Sanctification I spent a good portion of my life suffering from aspects of perfectionism. This perfectionism was a manifestation of my belief in doing good, keeping God's commandments, and trying to become like Him. Only, it took me a long time to realize that my mindset was flawed about how to go about achieving all of that goodness. How did I know that my mindset was flawed? Because I kept mentally beating myself up when I fell short, using self-criticism to make myself suffer extra sufficiently for my wrongs. I lived in fear of messing up, thinking that I would lose out on hopes, dreams, and blessings if I missed even one prayer. I kept thinking that I was going to be tricked by Satan in some sneaky way, despite my best efforts, and that he would take me down with one little mistake. I still remember the day I finally realized that I was so afraid of messing up or being taken in by Satan that I had been taken in. If you are living in fear, you have been taken in by Lucifer. Now, when I use the word fear, I'm not referring to godly awe and respect. I'm not referring to the love I have for God that makes me not want to offend him. I'm talking about crippling fear, the kind that inhibits progress. And many, many Christians live by this kind of fear, and it manifests itself in perfectionism. Now, it is important to note that perfectionism is a chronic mindset. It is preoccupied with self and comparison to others. Perfectionism is prideful in the worst sense because it is blind to its own pride. Perfectionism is not healthy, nor is it ultimately eternally productive. Perfectionism is an aspect of self-imposed, environmental, and personal control that has exceeded rational limits. So it's never okay to devalue yourself mentally berate and abuse yourself, and the like imitations. It is okay to feel guilt and remorse, but those feelings alone are sufficient. When we have those feelings, they are not licensed for us to begin hacking away mentally at our self-worth and eternal potential. So you might ask, but doesn't God command us to be perfect? Well, let's take a look at some scriptures and study this whole perfection thing a little closer. In Matthew 5:48 it says, "Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect." From this scripture, we receive the command to be perfect even as God the Father. We could replace the words even as with the word like, but either way, this command requires several readings and a lot of pondering. Does God really expect us to attain his level of godly perfection in this life? Why would he command such an impossible thing? We could also consider the fact that God became who he is, perfect, by first going through the plan of salvation just as we are. The prophet Lorenzo Snow taught in his famous couplet, As man now is, God 
once was. As God now is, man may become. So we could interpret Matthew 5.48 as becoming perfect in the same way God became perfect, which is certainly not immediately done or possible to complete in our mortal life. So let's assume for a moment that the scripture is literal and God is commanding us to become as he is perfect right now while we are mortal. Then why do we also read the following from God in Moroni chapter 10 verses 32 to 33, which says, Yea, come unto Christ and be perfected in him and deny yourselves of all ungodliness. And if ye shall deny yourselves of all ungodliness and love God with all your might, mind, and strength, then is his grace sufficient for you, that by his grace ye may be perfect in Christ. And if by the grace of God ye are perfect in Christ, ye can nowise deny the power of God. And again, if ye by the grace of God are perfect in Christ and deny not his power, then are ye sanctified in Christ by the grace of God, through the shedding of the blood of Christ, which is in the covenant of the Father, unto the remission of your sins, that ye become holy without spot. This scripture in the Book of Mormon about perfection is directly related to the atonement of Jesus Christ and the grace of God which it facilitates. In fact, it asks us to become perfected through grace and perfected in Christ, and to deny not the power of that grace and of God. And when we've attained this kind of earthly perfection, then we are sanctified, or in other words, we have been made holy like God, as God is. If you take the time to study all the scriptures about perfection, I think you will find, as I have, that God is not as concerned about perfection in action as he is about perfection in our desires and the intent behind our actions, even flawed actions. Note that in Doctrine and Covenants 137 verse 9, it says, and I love this scripture, For I, the Lord, will judge all men according to their works, according to the desire of their hearts. We tend to understand this scripture as a dual thing because we put an and in, even though it's not there. And so we hear according to our works and the desires of our hearts, but that is not what it says. It says according to our works, according to the desires of our hearts, meaning more likely what we do because of our desires. So do you see what this is saying? God is clearly letting us know that it's not the perfection of our works or actions that we are judged by. In fact, He's stating quite clearly that it is the intent and true desires behind our works, whether perfect or flawed, that we are ultimately judged by. This is huge. Can you do a work perfectly and still have desires and intent that are contrary to the work performed? Absolutely. Can you do a work imperfectly and still have desires and intent that are pure, sincere, and true? Absolutely. Why do we always assume that if a work is performed subpar, that the intent or desire is subpar? And why do we always assume that if a work is performed perfectly, that the intent or desire is perfect? This is just simply not the case. So this brings us back to the idea of sanctification over perfectionism. 
Both are states of being. However, a sanctified person is focused more on perfecting their intent and purifying their desires rather than simply performing an externally perfect work. A sanctified person recognizes that it is perfection in intent that will perfect their outward works and not the other way around. A sanctified person is trying to become like God, and a sanctified person accepts that as they work toward learning and becoming, that the works themselves will fall short, but he or she takes confidence from the fact that grace accepts the perfect intent behind such imperfect works. So, (laughs) this may still be confusing, so let me clarify. I was sitting in a Sunday school gospel doctrine class in my church ward, and a pretty wise man who was well-respected in the ward said something akin to the following. He said, there are two types of perfection. There is ultimate perfection, and then there is sanctification, which is the only type of perfection we can attain to on this earth. Sanctification is a state of being, which while we are not yet perfect as God is perfect, we are in a state of sanctification or earthly perfection, which is as much as we were able to attain in this life. Sanctification is, again, a state of being. You don't exit it by being imperfect in your works or your actions. You can only exit sanctification by being in open rebellion against God, which again, pertains to your desires and intent, which then extends to your works. And I would like to point out that I have not found many perfectionists that would ever consider openly rebelling against God, unless they allow their perfectionism to destroy their understanding of his nature and their faith in him. Sanctification is a state of being, a state of grace. It doesn't mean that we actually do everything perfectly, It means that as long as we are trying to become godly, we are in a constant state of grace or mortal perfection. In fact, intent, our intent, our desire is like a validating watermark on a check or the security features of paper money. Anyone can print a check or money, but it is not real unless it has a validating feature recognized by the institutions it's presented to. Likewise, actions, even if perfect, without sincere, genuine, pure, godly intent are just actions, no matter how good they look on the outside. Romans 8, 3 through 4 says, For what the law, or works, could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son, That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Now, that's, I skipped one line that's a little bit confusing. But what Paul seems to be talking about here is that commandments and covenants and ordinances, which are all part of the law, they're all actions, they're weak by themselves. In other words, they are great things, but without the grace of Christ provided through his atonement, those aspects of the law or the works that we do can't bend us into what we need to become. Just spitting out perfectly performed actions and works, checking commandments off a list cannot and will not make us like God. Works alone are insufficiently powerful to sanctify us, but actions and works performed 
whether perfectly or imperfectly, with righteous desires and sincere intent do have power because it is our intent which triggers the power of God's grace. Just like presenting a check or money with the proper security features, when we present actions with sincere intent, they become acceptable. So when we embrace the life and atonement and grace God offers us, we are presently in the moment saved in a graceful, sanctified state. Romans 8, 1 through 2 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, or I would say sanctified, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made them free from the law of sin and death. So on the other hand, if we rebel against and refuse to enter into God's laws or receive covenants, ordinances, and try to keep the commandments, then we cannot receive his grace or sanctification. This is because we are not fulfilling the conditions for sanctification. We're not even perfectionists. When we refuse to fulfill the conditions, we are actually in a state of rebellion, which is another state of being. Romans 8, 5 through 8 says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law or grace of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. So I want to talk a little bit about perfectionists and how you can tell, because I've been one, and so how you can tell if this is something that you are struggling with. Perfectionists are obsessed with self. They judge themselves and others by the quality of their commandment keeping. So if they keep a commandment poorly, they are usually less likely to judge others who struggle with it. But if they keep a commandment perfectly in their own eyes, then they are more likely to judge others who struggle with it. Indeed, perfectionists cannot see anyone as perfect, sanctified, or even saved, including themselves, but they will consider themselves more saved or closer to being saved than others. So, for example, have you ever entered the home or hung out with someone that you religiously idolized, only to find that they keep a commandment different than you? What was your reaction? Were you shocked? Did your faith waver in their ability to be holy? Did you suddenly feel a sense of your own righteousness in contrast to them and perhaps a sense of disappointment and pity for this lost soul? If so, then you might be a perfectionist. Have you ever looked at someone who appeared outwardly sinful and saw it as your duty or mission to bring them up to par? Did you ever think, if I could only show them how to live, they'd be happier? Perfectionists are often prone to the it's my role to save you attitude with others that they see themselves above. And here's the, here's the thing. It's not a selfless mission. It's a selfish mission as they attempt to validate their own height above the other individual. Perfectionists are selfish, even though they don't recognize it. Perfectionists judge themselves and others by their own standards of outward righteousness. They have a terrible incapability to see beyond the outward actions of themselves and others 
and to consider a person's heart. And this is not how God judges. God looks on the heart, 1 Samuel 16, 7. And he looks on the intent and the desires behind all that we do. 2 Corinthians 10, 7, I love. It says, Do you look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trusts to himself that he is Christ's, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ's, even so are we, or they, Christ's. So people who have entered into God's covenants and who are trying are Christ's and are perfected in Christ. This means that if their intent and desires are godly, they are in a state of sanctification or mortal mortal perfection despite imperfect action. Wow. And that means that since we can't see into everyone's hearts, that we must see and judge others always as if they are in a sanctified state unless they're clearly in a state of open rebellion. The only deviations from this are those that are given the keys to sit as judges in Israel. So bishops, state presidents, presiding authorities, the high council, apostles, and prophets. They alone are given the inspiration and authority, that's the most important part, the authority, to make worthiness judgment calls. We, however, must see others who are trying as currently sanctified and treat them as such. So here's some excerpts from Romans 8, 10 through 17. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons and daughters of God. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And then Romans 8.26, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. One of the things that I love about Romans 8 in the New Testament is that it is one of the few places that acknowledges the Holy Spirit's role in grace and sanctification. I would venture that most Latter-day Saints, when asked what the difference between the light of Christ and the gift of the Holy Ghost is, would struggle to come up with an answer. But this chapter makes it very clear. The light of Christ is the basic conscience of right and wrong that we all receive upon entering this world. The power of the Holy Ghost refers to validations of truth. And those are given to everyone, both inside and outside the covenant of baptism. But the gift of the Holy Ghost, however, is a gift of sanctification given to and retained only by those who receive the law and act upon it with sincere, righteous, and pure intent, not perfect actions. Here is another really good one. Luke eleven thirty four, The light of the body is the eye. Wherefore, when thine eye be single, thy whole body is also full of light. In this verse, which we also see in Matthew, where the Joseph Smith translation adds, single to the glory of God, so then it would be, the light of the body is the eye. Wherefore, when thine eye be single to the glory of God, thy whole body is also full of light. It is possible that a correct interpretation may be that the eye represents our intent which if the intent of a person is godly or single to the glory of God, then their whole body becomes single to the glory of God or godly. 
This makes the possibility of many sanctified individuals walking the earth extremely likely. This is also where the confidence of prophets in the scriptures comes from, how they know that they are saved and will meet us at the judgment bar of Christ, like 2 Nephi 33.11. Prophets understood sanctification. They transcended the weak understanding and satanic bonds of perfectionism. So now let's contrast sanctification with perfectionism. So those who are in a state of sanctification are humble in their judgment of others. They do not take themselves too seriously. They are not quick to judge others and are, in fact, charitable, hopeful, and faithful in every way because they can see themselves as presently perfected and saved, and they can see others as presently perfected and saved. This perspective changes the way they treat themselves and others at a deep mental level. Fear and panic are replaced with peace and long-suffering with self and others. Arrogance and excessive rigid self-control is replaced with empathy, sympathy, and compassion, which doesn't beget laziness. It begets a hope, which actually increases the energy one has to keep trying to do right. Grace doesn't give permission for spiritual laziness, which many pious Christians fear. It releases us from the bonds of fear and creates spiritual energy and motivation to become better. Now, perfectionists are always afraid of the doctrine of grace and sanctification. They always fear, and I know because I used to do this, that if people believe it too deeply, they will stop doing and keeping commandments. But their fear lies even deeper. They are afraid that others will get exaltation and salvation by doing less, while they themselves have worked so hard and beat themselves up to achieve it. They throw in God's face all they've done and resent when others get blessed who have visibly done less. What a terrible way to live. And it was when I lived that way. The truth is that true righteous intent, despite imperfect action, breeds more hope and confidence in God and his plan, which translates to better, more sincere efforts, and in time, better overall execution of his commandments. This is because those who are in a state of sanctification recognize all effort as positive, because any effort with the right intent is a perfect effort in God's eyes and leads them further along in his plan. Sanctification energizes. Now, perfectionism does the exact opposite. It breeds despair and uncertainty in one's own standing before God and one's own place in God's plan, which translates to worse overall execution of God's commandments. Now, in my experience, and I have been a perfectionist and I know several, perfectionists tend to be all or nothing. If they can't do it perfectly, they don't do it at all. Perfectionists can also be lazy. If they can't do it perfectly, they procrastinate doing it. And a perfectionist cannot see value in any effort but a perfect effort. And that is a sad and depressing way to live. So if you're afraid that if you don't live in crippling perfectionist sphere that you will fall away from God and become evil, then what you are actually doing is openly admitting that you are not confident in the true desires and intent of your own heart. So it's time to figure out what those are. 
and take confidence in what you love, who you love, what you want eternally, and the intent behind your righteous and perfect actions. So if you were as I once was, living in a state of perfectionism, stop it. (laughs) Pray to have your eyes open to the godly and correct path of sanctification. It will take time. You will have lapses. But all the efforts you make with pure intent to live in a state of sanctification will, to your utter surprise, bring you closer to mortal perfection than you ever had the chance of attaining before in your perfectionist state. Most importantly, you will be able to cast off the bonds Satan has wound about you. You will feel relief. You will feel peace. You will feel a hope you have never before understood or comprehended. Your faith will become increasingly powerful and unshakable, and you will receive personal revelation and power never before comprehended. Your eyes will be opened to God and His mysteries in a way they never have been before. You will gain confidence before God and your fellow men with an accompanying and equal charity and humility that will fill your soul with joy. So let go of perfectionism. Today, begin to embrace sanctification. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to read more of the things that I blog about, please visit my website, thedoctrinelady.blog, and I'll see you there.